a warm welcome to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we continue through this COVID pandemic, I've realized that there might be some of you joining us via live stream that I have not met, some new attenders of our church via live stream. And if I haven't done this yet, let me introduce myself. My name is Chance Sumner. I serve as senior pastor here at Community Bible Church. I serve alongside Pastor Jesse and the elders. And I, gr I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're interested in more information of our church, I'd encourage you to email me or Pastor Jesse or both of us. My email is pastor at cbcpeer.org. And Pastor Jesse's email is apastor at cbcpeer.org. We would love to hear from you. Well, we continue in Philippians. We started Philippians on September 22nd of last year. So we're making our way through this book. Lord willing, we'll finish. I don't know how many weeks that is, but we're coming up on a year in Philippians. I, I, I consider that a great faithfulness of the Lord to be able to go through this book in an extended period like we've done. Preaching, not going over details is very important in preaching. There's a lot of truth in the different details of Scripture, and I pray that we've been able to grow in our understanding of Scripture and of Philippians specifically as we've gone through this. The preaching schedule looking ahead, I think I'll do an Advent series as we approach Christmas, and Pastor Jesse will be preaching towards the end of October and beginning of November. So that's where we're headed. I think that we'll get... I think that as we go into 2021, we'll still be in Philippians. I imagine us finishing it late winter, early spring. And my hope is that after that, we'll jump into the Old Testament for a little while. So that's my heart for preaching here. And if you have any questions about preaching, about what I say, please feel free to contact me about that. I would love to have the opportunity to explain further what, what I mean whenever I speak up here. Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians. We're in Philippians 3.12 this morning. And we're transitioning to a new section in the book of Philippians. Philippians 3.12. And if you have an ESV, you'll notice that above verse 12, in between Philippians 3.11 and 12, there's a little subheading. And in the ESV, the subheading says this, straining toward the goal. And if you go, if you look at, in the ESV, Philippians 4.1, you'll see another subheading after that. I think other versions have these subheadings as well. It might be a little different in, a, in NIV or King James or NASB. But these subheadings are, are helpful they're not inspired. God didn't write them. They're not inspired like the text, but they are helpful. And they do help us understand some of the transitions that Paul is making in the book of Philippians. And this transition is very helpful. This, this subheading of straining towards the goal helpfully illumines what Paul is going to talk about in this next section. What you're going to find as we proceed through the end of Philippians 3 we're going to touch on themes of perseverance. This week, we're going to talk about perseverance. We're going to talk about the cycle of the Christian life, the title of this morning's sermon. Next week, we're going to talk about regret. Regret, something that we all 
wrestle with. And we'll talk about other various themes of perseverance as we finish out chapter 3. Let's go ahead and read Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What we're going to see this morning is that in the Christian life, as we walk with Christ, as we grow old, and our relationship with, with Christ develops, what we're going to see is that in the Christian life, it is a cycle. There's a cycle to the Christian life. And ultimately, we never graduate from the basics of the faith. We never graduate from that initial neediness that we have in coming to Christ. So we're going to explore a cycle. Paul takes us through a cycle here. There's a cycle of perseverance. There's a cycle in the Christian life. Now the first point this morning, the the starting point of this cycle, so three points for us this morning, three parts of this cycle. The first part of this cycle is this, failure. Failure. Go ahead and write that if you take notes, failure. What I mean by this point is that in the Christian life, as Christians, failure is something we all experience. So long as we're in the flesh, we will never get away from this. We all fail, and by failure, I mean sins. I mean mistakes. So long as we're in the flesh, so long as we await for the resurrection body, we will all struggle. We will all fail. We will all sin and make mistakes. Paul says this at the beginning of verse 12, attaching this idea to the text. Look with me there. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So we see this this failure in this first little statement. And what Paul is saying, notice how he begins here. He, He begins with a denial. He begins with a not. Not that. What Paul is doing here is he is clarifying what he has said in verse 11. So to understand verse 12, we have to understand verse 11. So let's look in verse 11. Paul said, we explored this last week, verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What Paul is doing in verse 11 is Paul is looking forward to this future reality of a physical resurrection of the dead. This is the end goal of the Christian life. Paul mentions it here. It's for Paul, and it's for us Christians. Now, in verse 12, he's saying this. He's saying, I want to be clear to you about what I mean. And then he offers a denial. Sometimes in speech, miscommunication and misinterpretation is easy to come by. It's easy to misinterpret other people. It's easy to be misinterpreted. And so to prevent that, we oftentimes say, we'll not make, not, we will make a positive statement and we'll also make a negative statement. Last week I talked about the resurrection and I offered three denials of what the resurrection is not. The resurrection is not reincarnation. The resurrection is not we become angels. The resurrection is not that we live in heaven forever as disembodied spirits. 
So we all do this, and that's what Paul is doing in verse 12. He is saying that I have not attained this resurrection from the dead. Paul is denying what he is reaching after in verse 11. He is saying in verse 12, verse 11 is still future. So he's offering a denial. He's offering a clarification. And then he says, not that I have already obtained this. Now that this here, this is and that's and these and those are ambiguous. If I say, oh, look at this, you'll say, what is it I'm looking at? And this this here in verse 12 is also ambiguous, so we kind of have to fill in the gaps here. And I think the best way to understand this this is by reaching back into the immediate, immediate context, going back to verse 11. Paul is talking about, once again in verse 11, the resurrection of the dead. This obtaining this is future for Paul. In the Christian life, we are longing for more. We do not have all that we need here. In this life, we're constantly confronted with failure and struggle and sin and mistakes. But one day, we will be given this resurrection body. We will obtain it. It will be given to us as a gift. And on that day, we will be made perfect. Looking again at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained the resurrection or am already perfect by means of the resurrection. That's how I want us to understand verse 12. When the resurrection comes to us bodily, when we as Christians are raised from the dead and receive a new body, we will be made perfect. Now this word perfect might be better understood as completed. This word here, this verb, comes from the Greek word telos. Telos means end goal. So what Paul is saying here is not necessarily that he will be perfect in the sense that God is perfect. Even when we have resurrection bodies, there will still be an infinite journey as we seek to know God more in the next life. God is infinite. We will never be perfect as God is. What Paul means here by perfection is that the process of salvation that God has begun in Paul, starting at the Damascus Road, he will bring it to its full end. Paul will attain this resurrection body, and the process of salvation in Paul will be complete. The resurrection body is the end goal of salvation, and what Paul is saying here is that one day he will attain it. But he's denying that he has. He's denying that these realities in verse 11, these realities of the future, these realities of a resurrection body, and God's process of salvation being complete in him, he's denying that that has happened. And this raises such an important point for us. Dear friends, we are all on a journey. We are all on a journey in the Christian life. As I've mentioned a number of times, the Pilgrim's Progress, 
Christian leaves the city of destruction. He's heading towards the celestial city. And he runs into many dangers, many problems. He falls along the way. And we as Christians are like that as well. If there's one thing that people know in life, and if there's one thing that Christians understand, it's failure. We fail. Amen? We sin and fail every day. And Paul, Paul did. Even when Paul says in prison that I am content and that he pours out these prayers for the Philippians, he, he takes us into a level of spirituality that's sometimes hard to identify with. That even in that, even in that state of godliness and sanctification, Paul himself acknowledges and realizes his sins and mistakes. And for us, dear Christians, this is what I want us to take away from this point, as individuals first and then for others secondly. Some of us might have a perfectionist personality. On paper, whenever we read the Bible, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short, present tense, Falling short of the glory of God is not just something that happens in the past. It's something we do repeatedly. Yes, I agree with that. I believe that. But there might be a disconnect between the mind and the heart. Those with a perfectionist personality, I myself do not have this. I, I am quite content with procrastination and disorganization. So uh, this isn't necessarily my struggle. But it might be yours. For those who have a perfectionist personality... If you make a mistake, if you sin, let's say you let someone down and you apologize and the other person, you know what, no big deal. We can move on. But what you're left with in your heart and in your mind are thoughts of, how could I do that? How could I let that person down like that? You're left with thoughts of, self-loathing and self-hatred. And what Paul is teaching us, what the Lord is wanting to teach you, is that you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to let people down. And what we must do is we must rightly align our expectations of ourselves with Scripture, with what the Lord says here. The reason why you have such a hard time in making mistakes is you believe these mistakes and sins to be surprising. You're surprised by them. But dear friends, so long as we're in the body, so long as that we are in this fallen nature, we are going to fail. We are going to sin. And what we must do is we must align our expectations of ourself with Scripture. Now, this is not an excuse for sinning, and I'll touch upon this in the second point. But there is great truth to this statement. Have you heard this statement before? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay 
to not be okay. That's what Paul is saying right here of himself. He is not okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And we have to believe this in our hearts and we have to allow ourselves, our hearts, repentance from this perfectionist personality. God's process of salvation is slow. We are going to make mistakes and we might make many of them. We might sin greatly. We might again and again and again make the same mistake and same sin. Dear friend, the Lord's grace, His application of it can be slow. And it is a process. And we must align our own expectations of ourselves with what Scripture says. And also, for others, we must give to one another great patience in failures and sins. Not only are we a work in progress, not only is the Lord slowly yet truly crafting in us as Christians the image of Christ, He is also doing that in others. And what we need to do, the posture that we must have towards our fellow brothers and sisters and towards the lost, the posture that we must have is one of patience and love and forbearance. Because, dear friend, we are all on a journey. Lord willing, the journey is towards the celestial city. But as you see your brothers and sisters stumble and fall, your response must be patience and grace. It's okay to not be okay. So that's the application for this point, is that Paul himself was not perfected. Paul needed to remember that God's grace works slowly yet surely in the life of a Christian. He needed to remember that for himself. And he also needed to remember that for other people. Same for us. It is a process of salvation in your own life, dear Christian, and also for others. Be patient. The Lord will complete his work. It's okay to not be okay. That's our first point, failure. The second point, the Christian life, the cycle of the Christian life. This is the second point, write this, effort, effort. So we have failure and effort. Now as I said, this statement, it's okay to not be okay, we need some qualifications here. What Paul says at the beginning of verse 12, that I am not perfected, that I'm still longing for more, it is not an excuse for sin. Look what Paul says after he says that statement. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. In this body, I will make mistakes, I will sin. Now what comes after that statement? Is it an and or a but? 
Looking at the text, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Is there a but or an and? There is a but. The inclusion or exclusion of a but signifies meaning. If this word were and, we would draw a different conclusion from what Paul says after this. Paul says, but. Buts are contrastive. Paul is making a contrastive point. He's saying, yes, I need full redemption. I am a work in progress, and I need the future resurrection. I am not yet perfect. However, but I press on to make it my own. What Paul is saying here is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. But it is not okay to be okay with not being okay. I'll say that again. Paul is saying it is okay to not be okay. But the second point, he is saying it is not okay to be okay with not being okay. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will make mistakes. But dear friend, you can never be okay with that. You must never be content with your sin. Yes, you will sin. It is inevitable. God has a grand purpose in that. But nonetheless, the calling of the Christian life is towards repentance, is a turning away from these faults and mistakes that make themselves so evident in our hearts. Looking at the passage, but I press on to make it my own. This word press on, it's a very powerful verb. Listen to the different ways that, Paul, that, that it can be translated in the New Testament. It always involves effort and exertion. These are the different ways it can be translated. To move rapidly or decisively towards an objective. To harass or persecute someone. To drive away or drive out. Or to follow in haste to find something. All of these, these different meanings of this word carry the meaning of effort and struggle. Yes, we will struggle. But there needs to be an intense desire in the life of a Christian towards repentance and faith. The sins that plague you, dear Christian, the mistakes you make, your oversights, you must never be content with those. You must constantly and fervently, with all of your might, seek to repent of those. And then Paul says, to make it my own. This verb can also mean to grasp something, to attain to win. Once again, the idea of effort is involved here. 
Paul is saying, yes, I am a sinner. And I am not yet what I ought to be. But I am not content with where I am at. And I strain, I struggle, I make every effort towards growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the application of what Paul says here in this point, two ways, two, two applications. In the Christian life, we will fail. But the inevitability of sin the reality of failure, the reality of sin in this life can never be an excuse for us. It is a reality, but it cannot be an excuse. In the Christian life, in perseverance, the cycle of the Christian life, we realize we fail. Dear friend, are you at a point of failure this morning? You most definitely are. We all are at this point. What must you do in light of this failure? You must struggle with all of the grace that Christ gives you to live a life of godliness and holiness. We must have in the Christian life, in perseverance, a never give up attitude. This life has many difficulties. There are many struggles along this path. Your own sin, the sins of others, but what we must do is we must maintain the conviction in our own godliness and for the godliness of others that we will not give up, that we will keep going, that we will keep persevering, whether we're in a prison like Paul or whether we're in the 21st century going through a pandemic, that we must have a never-give-up attitude for Christ and for ministry, we must continue seeking Christ and continue seeking Him for others. And also, we must have this never give up attitude, and we must also repent of complacency. We must also repent of complacency. Yes, it is true that it is okay to not be okay. But if we stop there, if we just stop with that statement and we're content to allow that truth to be what we confess in our hearts, that is not perseverance. That is not the Christian life. We have to go beyond this statement to say, yes, Lord, I will fail you. But, oh, Lord, I am not content to fail. By the grace, the, by your grace that so powerfully works within me, I yearn and I pray for your work to be complete in my life. We cannot be complacent. We have to have this attitude of never giving up, of constantly, consistently, daily, monthly, weekly, yearly, striving after Christ and after Christ for others. So failure, effort, and then last point. Where does it all end? What's it all about? Grace. This is my third point. Grace. 
At the end of verse 12, Paul gives us the basis of his life. He lets us into the foundation of all that he is. What is the motive behind his straining and yearning? What ought to be our motive in our struggle and effort to honor Christ in our lives and for others? What is the ultimate reality of life for you, dear Christian? What is the foundation of it all? Well, the foundation is grace. Looking at verse 12, I'll read the whole verse. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you're not reading out of an ESV this morning, let's say you have an NIV or NASB, your translation might say something like this. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The grammar here is, is tricky. The Greek grammar here is tricky. I'm not sure exactly what Paul is saying in this point. We, you have good translations and good commentators going in different directions. And whenever this happens, I kind of try, try to take a broader view. And the broader view I take here is, is this. What Paul is saying is the basis of his struggle for Christ, his laying hold to the future resurrection, his yearning after complete redemption is based upon and is because of Christ's previous gripping of him. I'll repeat that again. Paul's yearning for Christ, his effort in the Christian life, is based upon Christ's arresting of him. You think of the Damascus Road experience for Paul. This is a good point to illustrate where this happened. Where, Paul, did it happen that Christ made you his own? When did that happen? That happened at the Damascus Road. It actually stretches back into eternity past. It stretches back into the very foundations of the earth with the decree of election. But in time, what you see is God moving and acting upon Paul at a certain time, and that time is the Damascus Road. Paul is on his way to persecute Christians. Saul was his name. And Christ intervened. Christ said, no more of that, Paul. No more of that. You are mine. You are mine, Paul. This is what Acts says. You are my chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Christ arrested Paul. He captured him. He said, no more of that lifestyle, the Pharisaic persecutor of the church lifestyle. You are now mine. Now that moment, what happened to Paul there is the basis of all that Paul does in his life. Central to Christianity is this idea. 
that Christ died for us while we were sinners. The reason why we love Jesus, the reason why we love one another, is not because of our own doing. The Christian life overflows out of Christ's love for us. The foundation of Paul's effort, the foundation of the Christian life is grace. It is Jesus. As Christians, what do we have to offer people? We give them Jesus Christ. This simple, basic truth. Now, dear friend, why do we need grace? So starting back at the first point, we start at failure. And then we move, Lord willing, by his grace, to effort and struggle, trying to, with all our might, repent. To honor Christ. But dear friend, you're going to fail in that. You're going to fail in your efforts and your struggling for Christ. You're going to sin. And what happens when that happens? We go back to the beginning of failure and struggle. Christ gives us his grace. He says to us, get up, keep going. When we fall on the, on the way, he says that to us. And ultimately, where we're back at is where we started. In the Christian life, in sanctification, in perseverance, we never graduate from sinfulness and neediness. We never graduate from that. We are all broken and guilty. And dear Christian, never lose that. Never lose that. This, this idea of brokenness and neediness and guilt. I, there, there have been a number of situations going on pastorally that have been difficult. My own sins, my own failures as a father, as a Christian, as a husband, as a friend, Seeing your, your faults is hard. And by the Lord's grace, he, he shows me those things. But it's hard. And you realize that we need a lot of work. And then there's the tragedy of Austin Scott. The pain. The difficulty of that. And this, this morning, I, I read of a, a young missionary family who lost their eight-year-old child to malaria. Struggle is real. We all go around saying we're doing well and we're doing fine. But we all carry these burdens, these pains, these hurts in our hearts. This week I listened to a podcast in light of my personal struggles. And in the podcast, the, 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 the host of the podcast was having an author 
on. And, and, and the author of the book is a man by the name of Dan Ortland. And Dan Ortland was talking about a book. I actually have the book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Get this book. Read, read this book, Gentle and Lowly. And the book is about Christ's heart. Not necessarily what he's done. What Jesus has done is he's lived for us, he's died for us, and he's resurrected. That is all true, and we teach that and we preach that. But what about who Jesus is? What is his heart? And, and this author, the, the book, is all about explaining and applying Jesus' heart for broken sinners like you and me. And listen to what this author said in this podcast. I haven't read the book yet. I've, I've got it later in the week, so I haven't yet delved into it. But this is kind of a synopsis of, of what the book is about. So the, author, the, the, the host of the podcast asks him, who is the audience of the book? Who did you write it for? And this is his response. The audience of the book is for any Christian who feels defeated in life or whose Christian discipleship feels like running up a descending escalator. In other words, it's for all of us. We are all sinners, and we are all sufferers. We are all moving through life in pain, in different ways and in different levels of intensity. What I want to show through this book is that Jesus is attracted to and not repelled by our brokenness, sin, and pain. Let me say that again. What I want to show through this book is that Jesus is attracted to, not repelled by, our brokenness, sin, and pain. He actually moves into our space of sin and brokenness and towards us in our sin and brokenness and not away from us. What all that means is that Jesus loves you broken and guilty. This is our state. We are back to the very first starting point. We are sinful. We will fail. We will hurt other people and be hurt by others. And what this ultimately leaves us with is pain and difficulty. But the purpose of life, the purpose of the gospel, is that in these moments, Christ comes to us and he opens his heart and he says to us, Come to me as you are, broken and needy. Christ did not come to call the righteous but the sick. And in this process of the Christian life, dear friends, we must allow and remember sin and failure for ourselves and for others. It's okay to not be okay. But we must never be content with that. We must make effort 
towards repentance and faith. But our holiness in this life is always partial. It's always partial. No matter how godly you are, dear friend, you will fail and you will sin and you will be burdened with difficulty and grief. But that is exactly where Jesus wants you. His heart is for you. Are you broken? Are you needy? Jesus wants you. You must come to him. Whether you're a seasoned Christian, whether you've been doing this for a long time, or whether you've never done it, it all goes back to the same point. Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we confess as individuals and as a, as a church, God, we will fail. God, we sin. Lord, we confess this and we ask that you would grant us proper expectations that we would not be surprised with ourselves when we sin and fail. And that, Lord, we would be radically patient with the failings and sins of others. And that, Lord, we would be desirous of repentance and faith that when we sin and when we fail, we would not be content with that while it is a reality and you do have an eternal purpose for us in failing. Father, that we can never make peace with our sins. We must always constantly be pursuing godliness, holiness, both for ourselves and for others. But nonetheless, Father, we will fail. We will fall. Even our best days do not compare with the infinite beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would press that failure and sin upon our hearts, Father, and that also... that we would see Jesus. We would see his love and his compassion for sinners. Lord, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would show us our brokenness, and Father, that you would bring Jesus to us, and that by the Spirit, we would see his heart, see his love, see his empathy and compassion, and his love would change us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his work and for who he is. Complete your work on us, Lord. By the power of the Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.